All right, Fresh Tracks Weekly, here we go. We have a few crew updates today. We also have some news, and for our deeper dive, we are talking about recent proposals in Alaska that could shut down a ton of caribou hunting to non-residents. I've been on a lot of trips this season, and it was a great season. Uh, not gonna go over all of the hunts, but there's a lot of fun stuff that we did. Um, most recently though, this last weekend, we attended the American Coot Fest where we chased the elusive coot. Uh, and if you're thinking, is that the bird that doesn't really fly and just kind of flaps around in the water and, and uh, hangs out in your decoys? Yes, that's the one. Uh, mostly we had to settle for ducks and geese, unfortunately, but we did, we did find some coots. Kind of joking, but not entirely. We've had a great time chasing coots, and they actually don't taste that bad if you just slow cook them and braise them. There's a lot of meat on the legs, barely any meat on the breast, but you know, you slow cook them and put some barbecue sauce or just season them up good, they're not too bad. You can shoot 25 of them a day in Montana, so. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of potential meat. But other than that, Randy is heading off to multiple trade shows soon, uh, which is gonna be a fun challenge for him because he has dedicated himself to doing a Mountain Tough workout every weekday, five days a week. Um, so it's gonna be interesting on the road. He's gonna be doing the minimal gear dailies. We'll have to see how it goes. I honestly never thought I'd see the day that Randy entered a gym, but it happened. Um, so he's been going, he's been dedicated, and now uh, you can listen to the podcast. We just released it yesterday. It's actually a film podcast, so it's up on YouTube with him and Dustin Diefender, Dustin Diefenderfer. Uh, you can listen to that, uh, it just went up yesterday. We'll put a link in the description, but good stuff. The crew has also been getting in on some Mountain Tough workouts, so hopefully everyone's gonna be in a really good shape for next hunting season. Of course, we gotta get the fishing corner back, so let's go check in and see what Michael has going on. All right, here we are, fishing corner 2024. Whoops, I dropped my phone. Uh, so I got two days in 2024. Before that, I went out a couple days over our, our long break here at Fresh Tracks, did some fly fishing on some famous rivers around Montana, had great days with two of my buddies that I haven't fished with in a while. And then I also got to go out with one of my friends, Casey, and his wife, Dana. They just had a, a, young, a young child, and they took it out for their first fishing expedition caught a fish. Dana caught one with her daughter strapped right against her chest. It was adorable. Um, I'm not going to post any pictures of it out of respect for their children, but it was a cool experience. After that, me and a bunch of my buddies, we went out and swung a big river here in Montana, had a ton of fun, big swing crew. We caught a ton of trout. It was a great time. And then we finally got on the hard water, Cassie and I. She crushed it. I didn't catch any fish. It was super windy, a walleye and a couple trout. It was fun to watch her hook into a few fish and get super jacked up like she normally does. Nice. Cassie, send them home. Ready? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, bud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fishing, it's back. We're uh, hanging out in the office today. It's 23 below. Um, I'm moving to a new house this weekend in this cold weather and the good thing is is that this house has a big old pond in the backyard so I'm about to figure out if there's some fish in that pond if there is we'll give you a recap next week I don't know how much fly fishing is going to be getting done in the near future with these cold temps but ice fishing is here it's here and I'm excited and thank you guys. Back to you, Marcus. All right, here are a few news stories that we found relevant this week. 
The Supreme Court recently denied Alaska's request to overturn the EPA's decision from last year that blocked the pebble mine in Bristol Bay. Super quick refresher on the pebble mine, it has been a hotly debated topic for almost two decades now. The proposed mine site, which to date has not been developed, is comprised of extremely valuable deposit of copper and gold. To reach this deposit and make it worthwhile, it would require a very large-scale open-pit mine that would require impounding a significant amount of water, and there are multiple potential points for contamination. Bristol Bay is home to the world's largest sockeye salmon fishery, along with being an extremely productive landscape for other fish and wildlife. So about a year ago, the EPA blocked a mine proposal over concerns of environmental damage, citing in particular an analysis from Army Corps of Engineers where they estimated the discharge of the dredge or fill material would result in the loss of about 100 miles of stream and wetland habitat. The state of Alaska felt that that decision was unlawful, so the governor filed a lawsuit against that decision seeking to go directly to the Supreme Court. So the recent news is the Supreme Court denied to hear that case, but that doesn't mean that this is over. The state of Alaska will likely still try to reverse the decision by starting in lower court. From many hunter and angler perspectives, the decision for the Supreme Court to not hear this case was a win. They tend to advocate for keeping Bristol Bay wild. However, a significant amount of Alaska residents support the pebble mine as it would lead to numerous jobs and economic growth within those certain industries. Moral of the story is it's far from over. The debate will likely continue for years. In Washington, a bill was recently introduced to make foraging, hunting, fishing, and trapping a constitutional right. Legislators in Washington did attempt to pass a similar bill in 2017, but failed. It has been an increasing concern of many states to ensure that they have the right to hunt and fish, as fish and wildlife agencies have undergone cultural shifts, especially among certain commissions, which have varying levels of power from state to state. Washington has been one of the states in the spotlight on this issue with a commission that has increasingly been comprised of individuals less sympathetic towards hunting. In fact, the Washington Fish and Wildlife Commission has recently put out a draft conservation policy that some are worried will open up the doors to end more hunting opportunities similar to the spring black bear season that has been canceled. So this new bill in Washington is SJR Senate Joint Resolution 8208, and it has bipartisan support. It currently does not have a hearing date, but it'll most likely start out in the Senate Agriculture, Water, Natural Resources, and Parks Committee. So keep an eye out for that. Multiple states have already included similar language in their constitutions. I believe there are around 21, I think, states now that have done so, at least for hunting and fishing. A number of states have also attempted to get constitutional rights to hunt and fish, but have failed. Ohio is another state that's currently attempting to do this by getting it on the ballot in November 2024. In Kentucky, the largest conservation easement in the state's history was recently announced. In a huge collaborative effort, the Nature Conservancy, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, Natural Fish and Wildlife Foundation, and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation worked together to secure funding to ensure that around 55,000 acres will be protected and open to public access forever. The land is a super productive piece of habitat that is highly utilized by elk along with other wildlife species. It is comprised of intact temperate hardwood forests which are increasingly rare throughout the Appalachian Mountains. Funding came together in multiple ways to make this easement happen. The Kentucky General Assembly contributed nearly $3.9 million to match more than $12 million from the Pittman-Robertson Fund that was secured from Kentucky Fish and Wildlife. The Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation also got a $650,000 grant from the National Fish and Wildlife Federation. These are the stories that make me happy. Collaborative efforts of people getting things done to protect habitat and public access. With that, we'll jump into our deeper dive where we're talking about proposals in Alaska that could close down a significant amount of non-resident hunting for caribou. Fresh trucks. It's 59 or 60. <laughs> we're <laughs> trying to debate what episode this is. We don't even know. 
I don't know. Which is a sign that it hasn't been that weekly lately. But looks, looks to me like it's the Bo Beatty Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas episode. Oh, yeah. Two, Show enough. two of the five hats are llama hats. Ladies I ran gentlemen. into a guy in the Minneapolis airport wearing one of those. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 Right on. Gave him a thumbs up, and he looked at me like, what is that about? <laughs> Sweet oh. hat, man. Yeah. Right. Anyhow. So the deeper dive today, we're talking about some proposals in Alaska in an upcoming meeting in Kotzebue, Alaska that will impact or that have the potential to impact non-resident caribou hunting significantly. There's a number of proposals that are going to be discussed at this meeting, but in particular, the ones that people are fired up about are proposals three and 38 on this agenda, which uh, would close multiple units down to caribou hunting for non-residents. So that's what we're talking about. Um, yeah, I don't know. A few, I feel like there's a few background things that we probably want to talk about. So yep. it's going to be hard. We can't go too deep into a lot of a lot of things. But one big one that I want to mention, uh, the difference in Alaska compared to most other states is there's subsistence hunting, and then there's the state-sanctioned hunting. Right. Subsistence hunting operates under different regulations, federal regulations, than the state hunting. Yep. So non-residents and then most Alaska residents as well are under the state rules and right. not subsistence. That's for the locals. But anyway, that's just like a caveat to a, a little bit of this. It's not, these proposals aren't really talking about subsistence as much as they're talking about affecting the state regulations for right. the upcoming seasons. For mm-hmm. residents and non-residents, right? There are things that will impact residents as well. Yeah. yeah. But the, the those two proposals I mentioned are... Uh, I think a couple of years ago it was where they, for some of the areas of the Western, we're talking about the Western Arctic caribou herd here. Yes. That's the herd that everyone's worried about. Uh, Numbers way down, but a couple of years ago, they changed it where only subsistence hunting could happen in certain areas of that herd. Right. And that, and it was federal land. A lot of federal land got closed down. Right. And so that excluded a lot of residents who used to go there and hunt. Right. So I, I just want people to understand that there's the subsistence rules, like you said, about, uh, I think it's some subsistence board, some right. you know, some federal group. And then there's the state game, the I think it's board of game or game board or whatever Alaska has that does season settings. And so this would be specific to non-residents. It's not, Subsistence, non-subsistence. This is resident, non-resident. Am I correct in that? Yes. And so, like that, and like the one, I guess the things that we're talking about today, just for simplicity, we're talking about those two proposals that are yeah uh, closing down caribou for non-residents in those spots. Um, Like you said, the population has been in a significant decline. Um, But I think it's interesting. We were reading some articles right before this and just looking at the. Alaska Game and or Department of Game and Fish has some reports, and the herd has been as high as over or around five hundred thousand in the early two thousands, but then it's also been as low as seventy five thousand uh, in nineteen seventy five, and so right now it's between one hundred and sixty and one hundred fifty thousand is kind of where they're guessing or what the current estimations are. Yeah. So it is down significantly from its peak, but there's these huge fluctuations in the herd. And so it's Which not uncommon. Like, yeah, it sounds like it's kind of a common thing is like with caribou, the herds go up and down. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
So anyway. Yeah, because you you'd think immediately like, oh, there's too many hunters or like too many predators or what have you. But it sounds like those, while they may play a factor, it's may not be the only thing, you know. Right. Alaska so. Game and Fish published an article on their website in August that was really a good, maybe that's the article you're referring to. Yeah. <clears throat> that's really a good article. And they kind of admit, we don't really know what's causing the decline. But we know that when caribou cow survival is at 75%, that's not a sustainable population. And it's going to start. What causes them to go? Because like, if I'm understanding correctly, non-residents can only shoot bulls. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And then I guess why don't you think a more sensible approach would be maybe to limit resident cow harvest? Has that ever been talked about? <laughs> right. Well, so I, let, here's, a, here's another little piece of background <laughs> information. So in most of these units, they vary unit to unit and, or area to area, I guess, hunt areas. But uh, non-residents on most of these units can hunt or can harvest one bull caribou per year. And then in some of these units, residents can harvest five caribou bull or cow per day yeah per day <laughs> so per day. the harvest like That's in like one in one area right in one area <laughs> residents and uh, this is a resident and local number combined so and again we talked about how there's you know just because you're alaska resident doesn't mean you're a local to that area but they harvested around twelve thousand caribou while the non-residents harvested 250 bulls and so that's just kind of a, an example of one of the units um so Biologically speaking, and Alaska Department of Game and Fish said this in their review of those proposals, that the non-resident harvest is biologically insignificant. Yeah, it's sounds a like tiny, it. Tiny, tiny so, fraction. But so here's the thing that I want to. I'm curious <laughs> what to get everybody's opinion on. So the argument is not solely that they think that the non-resident hunting pressure is going to like if you eliminate non-resident hunting, it that it's going to you know save the herd. It's one of their things is they think that non-resident pressure from increased air traffic in the area, people getting transported to and from the field, that's affecting the caribou migrations or just affecting the patterns of the caribou to where the locals are unable to kill them as effectively. So that's that's one argument that I saw. But I'm, I don't know. I'm curious what people think about this. <laughs> like, it, is it – I mean, I'm wondering if, if it's common for a local – or a subsistence hunter to like go deep into the backcountry, or if they're looking more for uh, eroded, like yeah. hunting off of a road system. Like, I guess I'm not. I, I wish I would have done a little bit more research as to like these areas and like what it's like for yeah, a resident. <clears throat> There's not a lot of roads there. Yeah, so, so you're one of the complaints that you read about is that where the herd used to exist was closer and more accessible to the subsistence hunters. But they've now moved their calving in different locations. Their the over winter grounds are in different locations, so it's not like here in Montana where you say, "Well, the pronghorn just are more thick over by Mile City." I'll jump in my truck. I'll just drive over to Mile City. There aren't the roads. A lot of the subsistence hunters, it's mostly a snowmobile thing. Yeah. They they don't have airplanes, so. From or, the, from or they're the, just waiting for them to show to, up to, show to their up. village. Right. Like, and that's a lot of it. Yeah, that's it. And so they don't show up. Sure. And nobody really right. has the answer why. But if that's what you're eating, 
you're like, all right, yeah, something's going on it. here, and yeah. That that's the hard thing. It's it's hard to not sympathize with a subsistence oh, hunter. Like I these do. guys are literally living off right. of caribou or moose or whatever they can find, and so it is hard to not sympathize with that. But is ending non-resident hunting gonna solve that? And I feel like most people, like ourselves, probably included, and a lot of biologists say no. Like that's not the answer. Like right. at what cost? Is, like why? Is it worth the cost of ending that that hunt, like to potentially have some sort of uh, an impact on on the herds? I and I don't know. Maybe it's a bigger impact than I think, but it's just really hard to to think that you know some increased air traffic is going to impact where these caribou herds go. And that was another thing. The same report you were talking about with that Alaska Department of Game and Fish put out, they were saying how it's really hard to predict what caribou are going to do like they will (laughs) have patterns like that they'll you know follow for maybe five six years in a row and then all of a sudden they just shift completely do something totally wild totally different they're just like an unpredictable animal but then you also have like they talked about the changing food conditions the lichens and uh the changing snowpacks and later and later snowpacks and how that influences where they go and the migration happening later and later into the season so there's just so many variables into it, and to end non-resident hunting just seems like a a drastic reaction to me. But I I fully sympathize with the subsistence hunters. I I, I would want to do everything possible that helps keep that in place for them. But here's my worry: is agencies due to political pressure, social pet pressure, cultural clashes have a tendency to go and say, let me find something to make you feel better about the situation that isn't going to do anything. Right. What's going to help the subsistence hunter, what's going to help everybody is solving the issue and putting more caribou on the landscape. Because if we're going to just focus our effort on this, and if this was the solution, I'd be like, you know what, if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do. I get it. But... Every biologist is saying, this, this isn't going to, this is like pouring a cup of water on a, a huge fire. It, <laughs> right. it's, it's not well, going to do anything. <laughs> that being said, so if you read the proposals, it was interesting because the department still took a neutral stance on it. Right. So they did not come out against it. No, And, and, and so and that's like, I, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> just like read it. If you read the text that was written by the department, their response to mm-hmm. these proposals, it sounds like they're against it, but then it says neutral, which to me, this feels like what you're talking about, kind of that political pressure of like, right. we got to walk a fine line here. And, and I just worry that this feel-good BS takes our eye off the bigger issue. Right. And we, we did this, it's not just here. We see this all the time where someone says, you know, if we killed the last whatever predator boy we'd have elk everywhere no we wouldn't yeah predators have a an effect but the solution is put more elk on the ground not worry about all these but we that's where we tend to focus our efforts right and that takes the oxygen away from the real solutions and i don't know what the real solution is but you can read through the lines of that report that the biologists aren't the one saying 
yeah, we should do this. This is a social, political, cultural thing. And I get it. Right. That, that's reality. But let's not take our eye off the important part of figuring out what the problem is and fixing it. And I'm afraid that's what these kind of feel-good things do. They, like Someone can go back home and say, boy, I pat myself on the back. We solved that problem. And two years from now, the numbers continue. And then what? Yeah. So. Now, I'm curious, and, the, and we've talked about this in previous episodes and, and whatnot too, how, you know, a lot of the what happens in a given state within the realm of hunting and regulations is going to be up to the residents right. of that state. So, like, realistically, we don't have nearly as much input as a resident, right. but it, it's hard not to, like... It's hard not to get fired up as someone who wants to go caribou hunting in Alaska. But ultimately, it is up to the residents whether or not they view this as worth it. But I think that's, like, what, if this were to go through, at what cost, like, what are the costs of that? Like, obviously, there's guiding, transporting industries that yeah. are going to be affected. You have an entire industry in Alaska based around bush travel for mostly non-residents. I mean, that puts out a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then also each caribou tag is at $650. Honey right. license is $165. So those, you know, the revenue that comes from those, you know, few bulls, honestly, it's not that many bulls, biologically insignificant, yet that's a significant portion of the department's funding. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard not to take that into effect or, you know, think about that while yeah. making these decisions but ultimately it, it isn't really up to us but i mean we can submit comments like yeah, they yeah. have you have you have i guess the day that this video goes out you have till today to comment yep. till midnight yeah so, so my yeah. question is the resident hunter uh, just is it they can shoot five bulls a day a lot or? of the areas it's up to 20 per year so you could only get 20 total but you could shoot five per day is until it, you get is it bulls 20. No, no, no. Any caribou. Yeah. And, and again, each area has different regulations, but that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of it. <laughs> hey, if I was, uh, but again, remember, these guys well, are living on, no, like no, some, no, no, some of right. these guys I are literally it. living on. I get it. So, but, yeah. but we're talking like subsistence hunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But like a, a resident, you know, a guy from like Fairbanks. Or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He could do that. He can go up and shoot 20 caribou. So, but what about like yeah. residents say like some residents out in southeast Alaska they have the same can they just get yeah. the same amount of caribou They're a if resident. they made the yeah. travels up there they, they most of them are considered non-subsistence gotcha or the the subsistence rules are really interesting about who qualifies as subsistence and who doesn't mm -hmm. right so that's a whole different issue but uh yeah the my family that lives in Haines they could go up there and yeah. participate like any resident would want to i mean that's really sweet for them oh yeah and then, mean, i mean that's, that's, that's ultimately like it, and and the state should cater to its own residents totally like, it should like i i get it i am in favor of a lot of the regulations that montana has to favor oh, us yeah. as <laughs> resident hunters <laughs> yeah so like i'd be a hypocrite to say like you know all of those things like i get it there's a higher barrier to entry sure. you are rewarded for living in that state makes sense like all right. but at the same time it's just like oh man at what cost like are you going to end all non-resident caribou hunting? Like that's a, it's a significant chunk of funding and industry. Yeah. That. What if it was just impacted, bulls but. only? <laughs> that's what <laughs> I'm at. It's like this. The science well, I says like what Randy said. It's like the breeding he, age female caribou 
when their numbers are higher than their success or whatever, like survival, it, rate. survival rate is higher than this number, whatever that number may be. Like, yeah, and that that is one thing, but it, I think ultimately you're even, like Randy was saying too, is you're focusing on the wrong thing. Like hunt, like even at that level, a lot of t- in a lot of places that hunting is not having a huge yeah, impact yeah. on the pop. It can, like, don't get me wrong. It, there's yeah. scenarios where it will and it can impact it, but there's other things going on: habitat, weather, just different. The different patterns of these herds and then this the cyclical nature of caribou herds going up and down and like i don't want to just like you know sweep it under the rug and say oh it's just cyclical yeah. they'll come back because right. who knows like there's some herds that have essentially bleeped they just blipped out completely they just disappeared yeah. so yeah yeah and like canada right right quebec mm-hmm. yeah quebec you're, you're you're not hunting there anymore yeah i i try to put myself in the shoes of of say you're a policy maker and you're at a meeting in Kotzebue or, you know, any of those villages out there. And here are a bunch of people who they want some answers as to why the caribou don't come there anymore. Right. And I, I would have to be sympathetic and default to their benefit in every place I possibly could. And if that meant I had to do some things to – hammer non-residents that was more of feel good than it was anything uh, we're humans and policymakers are humans and i think there'd be a tendency to do that i can see where that would happen but i just hope that that's not the the deemed solution to a very difficult problem that for the sake of these subsistence people needs to be solved i mean yeah. if you told me i never get to hunt caribou in alaska ever in my life but subsistence hunting can still be sustainable and and these people get their food from that i'd i'd say fine i'm okay with that right but this rule this proposal isn't any step forward towards making sure those subsistence hunters are going to have caribou meat the rest of their days yeah exactly it's just a it's a distraction of of what of focusing on the real issues and then yeah one thing too and I don't know how much of an impact this would have, but sometimes I worry if you completely restrict people from hunting an area, like say you only let the locals who live in those villages hunt and you close it down to everyone else. And maybe this is a cynical thought, but people are less likely to care about those areas if they're not, if they're not allowed to go there and enjoy them and hunt, hunt there. Absolutely. And so, you know, if that's the case, like, yeah, what, let's, you know, develop this to the, or, you know, in, in other realms outside of hunting regulations, whether that's oil and gas development or whatever, you know, things that can impact that region. That's just the one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, who cares? I can't go there. Why would I care about what happens to that zone? Right. I mean, that's it again. And maybe I'm overreacting and like this no, I, I, coming to some... I know assumptions, but. we know Marcus well enough that you would still be concerned about those caribou, whether you got to hunt them or not. Right. But I think you're voicing a common held belief. We yeah. see it yeah. when non-residents say, well, why do I care if they sell the public lands? Go ahead, sell them. I, I only get 10% of the tags. Why? Once you disconnect somebody from that activity that occurs on that landscape, their yeah. care for what's going on on that landscape shrinks. Yeah. It, that's just the human condition. 
So uh, I don't know. Just another aspect to think about. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anybody got some other thoughts on this? Yeah, my curiosity is: where is it going to direct all that pressure towards the other herds? Yeah, that'll be sure. interesting. It's it's a it could be a domino effect. Yeah, nothing like happens that. in a vacuum out there. Right. But anyhow, who's going caribou hunting this year? Not me. Uh, <laughs> you, you're going to be in Alaska doing army duty. I might be in Kotzebue. <laughs> Jace, you going? I, I forgot to apply. Well, I'm not going. there's there's a general tags for caribou uh, in Alaska, which I will be oh, hunting well, this go. year. So, all right, yeah. but you're, you're going hunt caribou a different hunting. Herd. Uh, this will be this will be a different area, but yes, my myself yeah. and some friends are heading up, and we're gonna we're gonna hunt this year. There we go. Heck so, yeah, dude! And yeah. I can't I can't help but think it's you know a little bit of the the worry. Like I want to do it as soon as possible because I worry that I won't be able to in the future, yeah. and that's cool. I'm, for better or worse. I don't know, but that's. That is a thought in the back of my head. I'm like, you know I, what? Might might not be the perfect year, but we're going. We're going to no, do it. I, I get that. I mean, when I started hearing that they might close Mountain Caribou in British Columbia, and I saw what happened when they closed Caribou in Quebec, I'm like, you know what? When they start talking about it, usually within a few years, something happens. So I went to British Columbia, Mountain Caribou hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I just, I, I'm with you on that. I, you know, go get while there's getting. And I don't mean that in a greedy way. I just mean that in in a way that if it's sustainable and supportable now, you should go do it wherever you can. But anyway, uh, like we said earlier, you can comment on this. Yeah, it's going to provide uh, a yeah. link. We'll put a link in the description. Uh, if you want to read more about it, we can also link to that Alaska article. And then there's also a good uh, Outdoor Life article by yeah. Tyler Friel who kind of summarizes pretty good. So we'll put some links in the description where you can read up, learn more, and comment if you want to. Groovy. All right. Thanks, guys. Sweet. See ya. See ya. See ya.